Well, it's lovely to be together. It's so good to see you all. I think there's still a few people on their way, as I understand traffic is... Um, um, traffic's a bit strange. So, um, trusting that everybody will get here eventually. Uh, welcome to, if you're here for the first time, you should have a little little gold star on, which isn't to mark good behaviour, or uh, it isn't actually to mark anything other than we know that you're here for the first time. You don't get any privileges, you don't get anything different to anybody else. Um, so, sorry about that. You might get some extra nectar points or something like that. We might be able to sort a few of those things out. But it's really just so that we know that you are here for the first time. So, for those of you who've been, who are used to being here, if you see someone with a gold star, please go out your way and speak to them and make them feel welcome. Anyway, what I'd like to talk about a little bit uh, before we... What we're going to do, I'm going to look at the word for a little while, then we'll have a little bit of a break... Um, but I want it to be like a control break, not like herding cats, where we try to get everybody back together, just to give you a bit of a break so that we can then go into um, try and get about an hour's prayer together before lunch. So that's sort of what we're trying to, to do this morning. Uh, if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 24, I would like to just read from verse 13. And... I couldn't really think of a very good title for this, but I came up with this one, um, Resurrection Dynamics is what it's uh, called, which probably sounds more um, classy than it is, but um, that's kind of what I, I was just reading through the passage and I thought there are some dynamics here that I think perhaps can help us in our journey together. So, verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened, like the crucifixion and all these things. And while they were talking and discussing these things, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? He said to them, what things? He said to them concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. And they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch and see. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still, while, sorry, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. Father, help us just as we look at this and just see the extraordinary journey, uh, the extraordinary dynamic that the resurrection brings to our hearts as you work in us and through us and as you, you change us. So help us, Lord. Help me just to know what to focus on, what to leave, what to, to know where your Spirit's just resting on us this morning, Lord, uh, this stuff that needs to be focused in on. Just help me with that. I just pray, Holy Spirit, just just be brooding over us even now and over this word. Let it bear fruit, Lord, because that's what we want. We want fruit. We want fruit for your glory in Jesus' name. What I noticed with this uh, passage is that there's, there's five conditions of the heart that resurrection dynamics affect. See, our hearts are really important. The Bible says, you know, above all, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. What goes on in our hearts, our innermost being, is actually what shapes everything. It, it, as, you know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, it, it's really important to us. And when you go through this passage, you find there's different things that Jesus is doing with the disciples, taking them through... Um, shaping their hearts through this journey he's been through. And the resurrection teaches us that more than anything, that God is transcendent. He is other than us. He's, he's completely different from us. He does things we don't expect. We don't see it coming. We, don't, we kind of anticipate what we think. We, we ponder it and all the rest of it. But God then does something completely different to what um, we were expecting. Uh, he changes everything. I mean, here we find a resurrection. You know, a dead body is brought to life. It's never been known in the history of humanity. God's done something that nobody saw coming. And the reality for us this morning, which I hope by the end of this uh, um, look at Scripture we will, we will have, is this. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. So he can, he can do things that we don't see coming. He, he can, we can think we're heading in a certain tra trajectory. We can anticipate certain consequences. We can go through the same old, same old, thinking, oh, well, we've seen this before, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. We can go through all that. And then God does something simply because the same power, the same power 
that raised a dead body to life is at work in us. So there's something within us that has to, within our hearts, that I think the resurrection touches. The resurrection touches our hearts and helps us to think in the way that God wants us to think. So let me just kind of go through this, and you'll, hopefully you'll see, uh, you'll see the journey they were on and the journey that I think we can be on and how we can sort of go through it with them. So the first thing is, in verse 21, you notice that they have um, a heavy heart. Uh, they're, they're talking to, to Jesus, although they don't realize it's him, and they said, but we had hoped... We had hoped. Have you ever said that about life or about ministry or about your church or about stuff? We had hoped. It's not, it doesn't take you long. It doesn't have to be alive very long before you say that, do you? you say, well, we had hoped. Now, sometimes that can be you know, trivial. Uh, we had hoped Norwich would win the Premier League. You know, we had hoped. Um, you know, but more seriously... We often cry, we had hoped, because stuff happens. It says, um, uh, the causes of of, of that may be, be, I don't know, something in ministry doesn't work out the way you thought. It can can be really tough. You know, you move somewhere, try something. It seems, you know, we had hoped this God was in this, but just didn't work out. Try and plant a church, just falters. Difficulties in ministry, difficulties in leadership team, just stuff you think, well, imagine how they felt. They've been with Jesus all this time. They think they've got in mind how he's going to do this, how he's going to save the world. And to them at that moment, all their hopes had gone. We had hoped, but now it's just completely different to what we thought was going to happen. It's worked out completely different. Our hopes are dashed. You know, the Bible says yeah, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When our hopes get affected, every, everything is on, you know, it can be in meltdown. I don't know, some of you may be here this morning and you came in with the very question, we had hoped. We had hoped. But it's not how we, it's not what we thought. Perhaps your family hasn't quite worked out. Challenges with children, challenges with family dynamics, maybe some health, you were lot, trusting God for a healing, trusting God for, we had hoped. You know, we'd hoped. We kind of have an imagined future that's gone. That's what they had. They had an imagined future that had gone. Um, as, a, as a family of churches, we, we will have those moments where we will say together, well, we had hoped, but it's different. It's not quite what we thought. Now, we've got to just, I think part of being uh, growing up into Christ is actually to recognize we will all go through those moments. Yeah? Two of us agree, right? <laughs> right? We, it is okay to say that. Yeah, We will all go through those moments. And I, I'm always nervous of a spirituality that doesn't acknowledge pain, because that's not real. That, I mean, they are acknowledging pain very deeply to the Savior. They haven't got any problem saying... We're really cheesed off, basically. We had hoped this has not worked out. We're perplexed, we're worried, we don't know what's going on. We're completely uh, in the dark about the whole thing. Um, what's interesting to know, though, 
is that in this condition they found themselves in and we find ourselves in very often. It says in verse 14, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now, I'd like you to notice Scripture's handling of their conversation. It's completely ignored. There's not... There is not one word recorded of anything they said. I mean, how many times do we have great big long elders meetings, team meetings, big discussions between you and your wife or your husband, friends, you just long into the night over coffee and over, you know, over a meal. We had hoped you just pour out all this, you process all this stuff. And it's almost like the Lord's sitting there thinking, when you've quite finished, you know, it's like none of it is relevant. Whatsoever, there's not one word. This is a long journey and not even one verse. I mean, give them a break. There's not one. I mean, they may have made some good points, even. <laughs> there may have been some really good theological kind of gymnastics they were doing. Is that we were talking with each other about these things that have not one even reference later on. Jesus didn't say, Well, actually, you did have a good point there. There's nothing. Now, what that teaches me is this. We are full of a lot of hot air <laughs> that is mostly completely irrelevant to anything that is happening. And the more, we, the, the, the more leaders you have in the room, the trajectory of that statement becomes more relevant. We're paid to have opinions, aren't we? We're paid to have opinions. We stand at the front every week giving our opinion. How much of it is of any relevance whatsoever to what God intends to do? I tell you what I'm learning more and more as I do this is how much we need to be humbled before God at our own complete ineptitude to do anything, think anything, say anything that is of any relevance whatsoever to what God intends to do. We are complete products of his sovereign grace that enables us even to take our next breath. Never mind discussing it. Even the breath we have to discuss the fact we haven't got any hope is a gracious gift of God. How, how we should be so humbled to think, we don't know anything. Now, you might think, oh, he's having a bad day. (laughs) No, you're just as bad. Aren't you? Come on. (laughs) And if you think, well, no, actually, I think my preach last week was quite exceptional, actually. (laughs) Really? No, it wasn't. It really wasn't. It was okay. And God would have used things in it by his spirit. But the point I'm trying to make is, actually, a sober assessment of ourselves and our ability is absolutely vital before God can ever do anything with us. We have to see what we are without him. We are hopeless without hope. There's nothing. There's nothing. We're just utterly dependent on... No wonder Jesus said, abide in me. There is a clue. Without me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and you will bear fruit. It's just kind of a life lesson to learn, isn't it? Of, Lord, please help us. Now, wherever we go in the future as relational mission, and I, I honestly do believe that the thing to be written over us is not, well, we had hope, but it didn't quite work out. That's not what's written over us. 
What's written us is fruitfulness for the glory of God. But the only way you get there is by starting realizing without him we can do nothing. We'll just be wandering along the road like these disciples trying to figure it all out and getting nowhere. And missing the fact that Jesus is standing right next to you at the time when you're doing it. This sort of we had hope produces fear, doubt, questioning, sadness, grief, loss of hope, a bleak future. Have you ever done that? Looked into your future based on what you see now and calculated the complete improbability of you ever being happy again. Have you ever done that? Really cheers your soul up, doesn't it? And then you have a conversation with your wife and your husband and they think of something you'd forgotten which makes it doubly worse. Just Just confirming myself into complete complete, you know, disaster. They had a heavy heart. The Bible's real about it. We had hoped. Let's be real, folks. If, if we're going to genuinely be disciples, of, be disciples of Jesus, it is okay to feel we had hope, but that hasn't worked out and we don't quite understand it. That's okay. I've had to stand at gravesides burying people and I've thought, well, I had hoped. I mean, I'm just being real. And if we don't talk about that and don't allow that, and you know, I've seen church plants shut down, we think, well, we had hoped. No, this is, you know, you might feel crikey, move on. No, I, I, I just want us to just be real, can we? Just be real. It doesn't mean we're lacking faith. They weren't, they weren't, Jesus didn't say, well, you lot are completely useless, goodbye. He, did, he drew alongside them, he listened to all this nonsense. He actually listened to it. Can you imagine how much self-control he would have had not, not butting in? I mean, none of us would have been able to do that. We'd have said, ah, 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 no, no, hang on a minute. Now, let me refer you to the word plus notes because it actually, you know, I would have been rubbish. I'd have listened to it. It's like when you try to get people to do an alpha table, you say, look, the idea of alpha is let people express their opinions. You don't need to correct them. You try and find Christians who can do that easily. It's really difficult. It's like, ah, ah, ah. No, that's not right. No, Jesus listens to all this verbiage. It's verbiage, and he just listens to it. Then the next thing is in verse 25, we find they've not only got he- um, heavy hearts, uh, they've got slow hearts. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. It's kind of getting worse before it gets better. Right? Slow of heart. Are you slow of heart sometimes? I am. Slow of I just don't get what God's doing. It's not that he doesn't know what he's doing. It's just I haven't quite twigged. Just slow of heart to believe. Verse 22, it says, uh, Some women amazed us. See, even the knowledge of the resurrection wasn't sufficient to change their slow and heavy hearts. <laughs> Jesus had actually risen from the dead at this point. He was alive, but there was a, well, yes, but. We haven't seen him. So it's, it's not like they hadn't heard. The resurrection was beginning to dawn as news. But they've still got slow hearts, this slow hearts. You know what? Often God starts to do things and we are slow catching up with what he's doing. We're just slow of heart. Verse 32, they, they comment, you know, almost like reflecting. They say, didn't our hearts burn within us when he was walking? Well, yes, you had God standing next to you, but the, the penny didn't drop. How often in my life have I gone through weeks, months, whatever, of pondering 
misery trying to sort out all the things that I can't understand. And yet you, you feel kind of somehow that God's in it, but you don't trust yourself to let go and let him sort it out. You're just trying to sort of figure it all out. It's almost like, didn't our hearts burn within us? Yes, they did, but you didn't twig. Just didn't twig. And when it comes to the way we develop as a family of churches, I, I just want to say this. We, we are not going to be led by a group of men and women sitting in a room with a flip chart trying to come up with a good plan. If you ever see that happening, burn the flip chart. You know, <laughs> that's not how it's going to be. Because we might come up with something that looks good, sounds good, all starts with the right letter and all the rest of it. But that's not how God leads. A little while ago, um, Dan's wife, Anna Goodman, sent me this prophecy which really caught my attention. I just want to just kind of share it with you because you'll see where it fits in, hopefully. She said, when I was praying for you, I had a picture. I could see you as a glass blower. You know, a glass blower, you know, blowing into a pipe thing. And glass. You were breathing into this hot molten glass, and as you were doing it, the Holy Spirit was causing it to grow. As you blew, the shape of the blob, that's us, right? The shape of the blob evolved and changed. And I could sense that even you didn't know what the final product was going to look like. And you were being continually surprised as to what was taking place. The colors that were being introduced and the shape that was forming. I could see that you were just focused on listening for the next step on what to do. In the meantime, I could see that you were constantly reintroducing the morphing glass ball back into the furnace. This was important. As long as the glass was con continually kept hot... It, it could continually grow and be shaped. If it was allowed to get cold, it was no longer pliable. I felt that this picture was about relational mission and how it was maturing and that God wanted to uh, just kind of honor us for the way that we we're allowing him to lead in this journey and we're not trying to make it fit some preconceived mold. I sensed very much that the final product was going to be far more glorious than you could have ever hoped or imagined. So may I encourage you to keep breathing the Holy Spirit's life into relational mission and stoking it in the furnace of God's presence. I think that's a stunning word. Because it's the very thing here. This, we're battling our slowness of heart. And if we think, well, quick, quick, come up with a solution. Come up with a strategy. Come up with a plan. No. No, no, no. We could... Under pressure sometimes. You know what it's like in leadership. You feel under pressure. People say, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? What are you going to do? How are you going to solve this? The temptation is to think, right, quick, quick. How do we do it? How do we do it? That is not the way to be spirit-led. It's not the way to get the product and the shape and the color and the dynamics. That It takes guts to be utterly dependent on God and to say sometimes, like Moses facing the Red Sea, I've got no idea what to do next. I just know that we've got here by obedience to God, but we don't know what the next step looks like. I think that's how we should all live the Christian life, whether it's personal life, whether it's corporate life, whether it's leadership, this utter, utter dependence on God so that our slowness of heart is not the thing that defines the decisions we make. We, 
we recognize our slowness of heart. We recognize that, yes, our hearts can burn within us, but we still don't quite understand until God shows us. Is this making sense? This is a cultural thing here. This is a culture of leadership. I'm trying to just... Leadership isn't a science. It's an anointing in Christian terms. Right? It's an anointing. You, you can't scientifically say, well, you know, this craft and all, there's business stuff we can learn from, but you don't lead God's people. You don't even lead yourself through business techniques. Don't do that. Because you don't even need a heart to do that. But you do need a heart to lead God's people. And you need a heart to be in tune with God. And our slow hearts, our heavy hearts, our, the hearts that, we need the Holy Spirit. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not against structure and organization and all that because, you know, God anoints that. The Holy Spirit is a God of order. He's a God of beauty and creativity and organization. Absolutely. But it's got to be, even that has to be spirit-led. So these guys, heavy hearts, slow hearts. Next thing that happens as they start to come out of the dip is in verse 32, we've just read it. Did not our hearts burn within us? The next thing we see in the resurrection dynamics kicking in is a burning heart. I don't mean heartburn. That's a different thing altogether. A burning heart. Listen, faith often feels like a burning heart. What I mean is this. We don't see the detail, but we know God is present. See, Abraham set out not knowing where he was going, but he... he, he, He just believed and went because his heart was burning with a promise, but he didn't quite know how it was going to work out. You look at any Bible character, faith often just looks like a burning heart to start with. Don't get the detail. You don't don't go beyond it from faith into sight, trying to just, well, God's called me, so I better organize it. No, just take the next step. Just take the next step. Let the burning heart be the thing that just gets you going. So the very next step, you're utterly dependent on what God says and does. And if he doesn't say or do anything, you're stuffed. Right? That's the Christian life. Isn't it? That, that is the Christian life. This burning Faith feels like a burning heart. I want you to notice also that at that moment, there's no ability or evidence that God is going to work this out for them. But there's a sense that God is in the moment, the burning heart, but they don't, they're seeing through a glass darkly, if you like. There's a gut feel, but they don't exactly know the way forward. And what, what I would say is this, in, in leadership and in ministry, the things that we're all involved in, in serving the Lord, never drown out the gut feel. Never drown it out. Right? If you, you just kind of know, but you don't quite know why you know but you know that you do know. You had that? You think, I don't, I don't quite, but I, there's just something that convinces me God is in this. It's just something that convinces me it's going to work out. Let me give you an example just for us as a, as a family of churches at the moment. Um, as you know, we've had some budget challenges and finance challenges. And, you know, we've gone through the whole thing of, well, we had hoped, you know, not quite, not quite got the finances we needed. And despite, you know, extraordinary giving by everybody here, I mean, just phenomenal giving, uh, we're still a bit short of where we need to be. And 
part of me just thought, oh, I had hoped. And, oh, Lord, have I got that wrong? Have I bad leadership? Have I got this wrong? Oh, dear, is that my fault? Have we got this wrong? And I just felt the Lord say, just say to me the other day, do you know what? Don't try and understand everything. When you, when you just take obedient steps and things don't quite work out the way you thought they were, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It might mean that there's something that God has to allow that to happen in order for something else to happen. And there's a gut feel within me that says, well, I don't quite understand. The money doesn't quite add up. We're going to have to press some pause buttons on various things, and that will delay things and affect people and all the rest of it. We're going to have to do that. But I tell you, there's a gut feel within me that thinks God is in this, and somehow we will see greater glory and fruitfulness. And I don't know, something of his glory will come even though actually on paper at the moment it looks a bit of a challenge. That's just a live issue at the moment that I'm processing. But I, you know, and so I've been through the curve, you know, heavy heart, slow heart. No, no, actually burning heart. God's in this, God's in this. I guess probably all of you go through similar cycles in different things. And you notice Jesus in verse 36 while they're talking about these things, he says, Jesus stands among them and says, peace to you. Now, just think about what Jesus says there. This is his, his first comment to them when he appears after they've sort of had all this stuff happen. He says, peace to you. He doesn't say, let me explain what's now going to happen. That is not where he starts. He starts by ministering to them as people. Peace. Peace. That's, do you know why he does that? It's because he loves them. And it's because he doesn't like to see them distressed. If you are distressed, concerned, heavy heart, slow heart, all the, whatever, you know, heartburn, whatever, whatever this morning, if you, whatever heart condition you are carrying that you'd rather not carry this morning, listen. Peace to you. Peace. Before we talk about what's happening and what's happening next, Jesus says, peace. Peace. Why? Because he doesn't want you to worry. He does not want you to be consumed with worry about things you can't solve. Is that true? I mean, it's what he did. Peace to you. I love it that when... Meeting, I don't know, an elders meeting or a you know, ministry meeting or whatever. That Jesus is not so concerned about the agenda that he doesn't care for us first. We're not utility to him. We're sons and daughters. We're beloved. We're not utility. God doesn't just pick us up and say, oh yeah, I can do something with you. I'll, you know, you're useful to my purpose. Hey, he loves us. He loves us even if you never did anything for him again. He loves you. Peace to you. And next one, verse 38. <clears throat> it says, why, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Next one is a doubting heart. Um, you notice in verse 39, he says, uh, it is I. You know. <clears throat> it's me. It's Jesus. Sometimes that's all we need to know. Sometimes all we need to know is Jesus saying, I'm with you. I'll sort it out. I'm with you. It's me. It was enough 
uh, for Peter to get out the boat and walk. It was only when he started to get slightly complex with the scientific process that was going on that something went a bit wrong. But he started, if it's you, tell me and I'll come. He said, it's me, come. That's enough to start with, isn't it? Whatever complexity you're facing, it's enough for Jesus to say, it's me. Often we find ourselves like this. <clears throat> we ask ourselves, do we understand life? No. Do we understand the Bible? Yes. That's how it should be. We understand the Bible. There's a kind of a thing sometimes going on and saying, oh, the Bible's mysterious. I don't quite understand. No, rubbish. The Bible is meant to be understood. It's God's revelation so that we clearly can see who God is, his plan of salvation. All he, everything he wants to disclose and needs to be disclosed has been disclosed in and through Scripture and in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Bible is not a mysterious closed book. It is openly laid bare. We're supposed to understand it. If we don't understand it, well, jolly, we'll study it harder till you do. And pray, Holy Spirit, help me. All right, so we don't understand life, but we should understand the Bible. Sometimes I find that you hear people talking and you think, well, they say, well, I don't understand the Bible, but I think I've got my head around life. No, really you haven't. <laughs> really you haven't. And this beautiful verse in verse 41, which I, I always, I just encouraged me when I read it. I think it's amazing. He said, while they still disbelieved for joy. I mean, why? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> disbelieved for joy. Just make a little point here about this. Faith is always an imperfect plant. There's kind of some teaching that goes around every now and again to do with either accessing kingdom things or healing or whatever that kind of talks about you've got to have complete faith in order to bring down. Well, when I read this, I beg to differ because they disbelieved for joy. What is that? I mean... They did not believe and they were filled with joy. And yet he still did what he did. They didn't have to have perfect faith for him to manifest his presence. That's the whole point of the seed, mustard seed, isn't it? Because faith isn't about the quantity we have. Faith is about who it is we've got the faith in. I don't need to have much faith. I just need to know who it's in. You know, I can be filled with doubts and wonders and heavy heart, doubting heart. I can still pray for the sick with all that strength. Oh, I don't know if anything's going to happen. Do you know what? And God still turns up. Why? Because I've got a little faith in a big God. I don't need to go through some sort of mental cleansing process to sort of eradicate all my negative thinking. Where's that? Please, it's not in there. It's not in there. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't then strive for greater faith, but it's about who we've got the faith in. Not, you know, well, yeah, I've risen to another level this month. No, you haven't. Really, you haven't. Yes, it's called pride. That's the level you've risen to. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke, as far as I know, isn't it? And the anointing is a gift. All we are is stewards of a gift that we've been given. If you pray for someone, they get healed. You are stewarding a gift of the Almighty God who can do anything. You are not... Uh, you know, the, the, the single custodian of perfect faith on earth manifesting itself. No, you, you're a steward. You're a messenger on behalf of someone else. They disbelieved for joy. I spent most of my life disbelieving for joy. Honestly, the more God does among us, I think, 
wow, how did that happen? I want to spend the rest of my life disbelieving for joy, don't you? That he keeps overtaking me with things I never thought. Man, who thought we'd do this? Who thought we'd touch that nation? Who thought we'd go global? Disbelieved for joy. If I put a ceiling on what I think's possible, well, God will break it anyway. But that's not... Is this getting through? Because yeah. I, I just want us to... This is about him. This is about what he's going to do through ridiculous people that can't do anything. I mean, the resurrection had never been done before. What we're attempting hasn't been done before, really, in our generation, certainly. Then the last thing is, verse 52, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, a joyful heart. See, it all comes good in the end. A joyful heart. Now, why have they got joyful hearts? Very quickly. They've got joyful hearts in verse uh, 48 because he says to them, you are my witnesses. What's he doing in that moment? He's confirming their identity, that he's chosen them. It's a wonderful thing to know you've been chosen by God, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing. Never mind all the stuff about sovereignty of God and responsibility. Just, Just park all that for a minute. The wonderful thing is, you and I were sovereignly elected and chosen individually by God before the world began or before you were even thought of. That is what the Bible says. And he says, you are my witnesses, hand-picked. I mean, if we don't get joy from the electing grace of God, what else is there? That God has chosen us in him. He says, you're my witness. He establishes, he reconfirms their identity, their calling to be witnesses, their involvement in his purposes. He reassures them about it. What I've found in life is this. Mystery can be embraced when we know who we are and what he's called us to do. Most of us in leadership will live life carrying considerable quantities of mystery. Is that a fair statement, in life. And the longer you do it, the more the mysteries mount up. I have found that I can embrace mystery when I embrace knowing who I am in him and what he's called me to do. Because I can entrust to him the things I don't understand. And if I trust him with those, I can clearly then find my joy in the fact that I know Jesus and that he's called me to play an incredible part in his purposes. So joy comes to them because he says, you're my witnesses. Verse 49, he says, I am sending. Look at that. I am sending. There's a promise of resourcing. Uh, whereas I was thinking about the financial thing the other day, just to use a you know, current thing that I've been thinking about. I read a little line in a, a book by um, a chap called William Gurnall. If you ever get hold of uh, this book. It's called The Christian in Complete Armour. It's a Banner of Truth publication, three volumes, William Gurnall, The Christian in Complete Armour. I wish every Christian on the planet would read that book. It's, it's an incredible book. There's just one little line in it that I was just reading the other day, and it, says, it said this, um, Christ holds our purse. I thought, I thought that was my wife that did that, but no, apparently, <laughs> apparently, Christ holds our purse. And suddenly I thought, I don't need to worry about any of this. 
<laughs> not my purse. Christ holds my purse, our purse. He, you know, he, he will provide our sufficiencies from him. He says, you know, I, I will, uh, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you. Stay till you've been clothed with power from on high. Something comes upon us from heaven. Something was being promised to them coming upon them from heaven. I'm sending, I'm resourcing. And then lastly, we notice that it says great joy and worship. There was continually. What about that? Great joy and worship continually. Verse 53, they were continually in the temple blessing God. When the stream of joy dries up, it always can spring up again when we're in his presence, when his calling, his affirmation, his, his revelation of himself to us just comes, breaks in afresh on us. You know, if your joys, if your heart's a bit, I don't know, challenged in some ways this morning, here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the prescription. Go find him again. Go find him again. And the thing with the prescription is it's no good eating the prescription. You've got to go and get the medicine. Right? So no, eating the prescription is not going to help you. You've got to go find him. You've got to find him. Say, Lord, you know what we're like. Heavy hearts, slow hearts, burning hearts, doubting hearts. God, God, give us a joyful heart as we go through all this together. If we are going to genuinely affect the world, we will have to learn how to go through this cycle of stuff again and again and again where... Because the disciples did. This is not unusual. It's normal Christian life. This is spiritual warfare mapped out in a story. That's what it is. It's not exceptional. It's normal. It's normal for Christians to feel like this, or to go through this, I and mean, to come out, come out the right end. Because Jesus knows what he's doing with us, and he, know, he knew what he was doing with them. He knows what he's doing with your life. That's the bottom line. He knows what he's doing with us as a family. So let's stand together, and I just uh, we're going to have just a, a break in a minute too. But I just like to just pray, and we're going to have time to apply this a little bit and pray for some other stuff um, when we've just had a little little toilet break or whatever. But I just just want to catch the moment before we move on. Um, so here's the deal: just get with. Two other people, so just in threes. And then very quickly, just share where your heart's at at the moment. Just, you don't have to go into huge detail, but just say, yeah, could just do with this prayer, that prayer. Let's just serve one another very quickly. Um, and we'll have more time to you know, see what the Lord wants to do later. But let's, let's just quickly, twos and threes, think about those. If we can have the, the different heart conditions up again. <laughs> uh, <coughs> Um, there we go. So you can kind of say yep, where you feel you're at. So can we do that? Just quickly move and just find someone. And uh, if you want to find someone you don't know, or or if you're with someone you don't like, find someone else. You know, just. <laughs> <laughs>